Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Means that the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft goes to the Detroit Pistons. Who's got the number one pick in this year's Detroit. draft? Who's got the number one pick in this year's draft? Basketball! Select Isaiah Stewart. The Detroit Pistons select Killian Hayes. Sadiq, that was absolutely sensational. I don't know what went into that process. I met the criteria to be selected, but I wasn't. From long range. Oh! Yes! Yes! Detroit Basketball! What is going on, Pistons fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Brought to you by Believe, Aaron Johnson and Jasper Apollonia here with you. Jasper, we're fresh off of Media Day. A lot of quotes, a lot of discussion from Troy Weaver on down from the Detroit Pistons organization. How are we feeling after we've hit the what I consider the official starting point of of the NBA next NBA season, the new NBA season, which is Media Day? How are we doing after that? Well, you know, media day was fine, Aaron, but I think that you and our our co-host, Mike Angulano, who's unfortunately not here today, I think you guys might think that I don't listen to this podcast uh, when I'm not on it, because I heard all the smack you two were talking to me last week about beating me in fantasy, and I just want to say you're lucky I'm on here today, all right? After that vicious and brutal assault, not just on my fantasy team, uh, and I don't just mean the score lines that you guys whooped me with. Also, on my character, on my, on my, you, you called me a coward. You said I skipped out on the podcast because of, uh, of the ass kicking I got. And while that might be true, I resent you for saying it. So well, I just want to say, get, make that very clear right off the bat. Look, Mike and I, we were talking a big game last week. Uh, we are the, Mike and I are the two final remaining undefeated teams in the Palace of Pistons Fantasy Football League, both 3-0, and both feeling pretty good about ourselves. Mike just made a hell of a trade that I'm not oh. sure how, how it got through, but it did. We, we can't get into it now because if we do, I, that's the whole podcast. I'm going to be going off about him trading Mike Williams and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for friggin' Joe Mixon. Unbelievable. It was regardless. Re- yes, regardless. We did talk a lot last week, but look, I got you here this week. Mike is a wall. Um, so you and I are now holding it down. If we need to talk a little smack about Mike, I'm not going to say we can't do that throughout the show. But before we get into talking smack about Mike, we'll also probably touch on the Pistons a little bit here. I do want to talk about our sponsor who helps make this show possible every week, Bet Online. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, golf, and esports. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code Believe50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. 
Aaron, uh, Pistons season uh, over under on that win total. It's now at 29 and a half, by the way. Is that a five anybody's... game? Four or five game swing? Uh, well, that was what? At 27, 26 oh, and a half, right? Okay. Okay. So that's a that's a three three game swing. It seems about right. Uh, I said to me, you know, I wasn't here last week. I, I unfortunately was not able to talk about the Boyan Bogdanovich trade, uh, which I loved, by the way, uh, just to <laughs> put that out there. Uh, but I said I think it's a it's a, like a three to six game swing uh, on their total over under. I, I think that was a a huge trade, like an absolutely huge trade. And I think that we should probably start off by talking about Boyan Bogdanovich uh, and and the quotes he had for media day, um, especially about Cade Cunningham. He didn't have a whole lot to say, um, but when he did talk to them, he he only had great things to say about Cade obviously he said Cade is the franchise player he's a great guy a great player putting me next to him he's gonna have more space to operate I've only just been here a couple of days so we'll learn about each other um not a super revealing quote Aaron but I think it kind of goes to show exactly what we've all been saying that's what he's here for he's here to give Cade Cunningham more space to operate in that half-court offense right absolutely and I know there's been some talk about oh, Boyan can be the sixth man and, and Boyan might be coming off the bench. Like, that's not the case. This is a guy that, you know, averaged 19 points a game, it, it is a prolific, proficient three-point shooter. He is going to be starting. He has years of experience playing on high-level teams that comes with plenty of playoff games and repetitions. This is a guy that is going to be starting alongside Kate Cunningham, as he said. It is very much in the realm of possibility that Boyan Bogdanovich could be the Pistons' second-best player this year. I don't think that's a guarantee, but I think it could be the case. None, nonetheless, he's definitely one of their top players. I think, you know, if you had to ask me right now, I'd say it's Kate Cunningham, obviously, one. And then I think it's kind of in a 2A, 2B situation between Bogdanovich and Sadiq Bey. Um but he's a very important player nonetheless. No matter how you rank him, uh, he is going to be starting. His job is to space the floor for Cade Cunningham. Defenses are going to get sucked in on Cunningham when he is handling the basketball, when he is trying to break defenses down. And getting Bogdanovich on the court, spacing the floor, is going to be massive to make defenses pay for doing that to Cunningham. I think the synergy between those two guys Looks like it should be very strong just based off how the two play, their archetypes, their strengths. Uh, I am very excited about the potential that Bogdanovich adds to this team. I said it last week, very much liked the trade. Uh, the Pistons gave up Kelly Olenek and Saban Lee, who it sounds like Lee is being cut by Utah from what's being reported. I'm not exactly sure who had it, but I think they said it's unlikely Saban Lee is going to remain with the Jazz. Um, so the Pistons really didn't give up anything to get Bogdanovich, even if he is only here up until the trade deadline, even if he does get moved again, I think it will help Detroit to have a player like Bogdanovich on the court. And I'm not, I don't necessarily want to go too much more into that, uh, because we talked about it last week, but the quote is encouraging because he understands what his role is going to be. And he is the type of pro that should be able to maximize that role. Yeah, and Aaron, I know you guys talked about it last week, but I, I think a lot of people expect Bogdanovich to kind of be the three slash four along with Sadiq 
Bay. I think those are two guys that are going to play kind of a similar similar role this year uh, in terms of kind of being like bigger wing defenders who can sort of slide between two and four. Um, certainly, you do hope that Sadiq learns something from Bogdanovich, especially in terms of like the way that he plays. Bogdanovich is not some great rim finisher. He's not some guy with an amazing handle, but he knows how to get himself free uh, and not just stand there and, and do catch and shoot stuff, uh, which I think is something that Sadiq Bey could could absolutely learn from. Um, but as we're talking about Bogdanovich as potentially the starting four, he's not the only guy who's being potentially looked at for that spot. Uh, Dwayne Casey had an interesting quote on Isaiah Stewart, I thought. Um, here's what he said. He said, what's going to have to manifest itself, it's not natural right now, is for Isaiah to slide to the four, to open some spots for everybody, because right now there's four, and it's tough to play that many in today's game to be that big. I really feel like Isaiah and also Marvin can slide out to the four and space the floor. That's our charge right now, is trying to get them to do that. So, Aaron, looking at that quote, especially when we're talking about Bogdanovich as your starting four, what do you read into there? Uh, Are you seeing this as a long-term project to move Marvin Bagley and uh, Isaiah Stewart to the four? Or is this something that you potentially see coming down the pipe this year, uh, either after a potential Bogdanovich trade or even potentially before? I think this is one of the most important quotes from Media Day. I think both Dwayne Casey and Isaiah Stewart talking about him playing the four, this is something that we heard about going into the offseason. We saw it in Summer League. This is something that's going to continue to be a development in Detroit. It's something that they're obviously taking very seriously, and they're putting time, effort, and resources into this. I do think that the Bogdanovich trade signals to me that it's something that they are going to take slowly, which I think is smart because you kind of have your starting forwards figured out in Bay and in Bogdanovich. Unless they go very, very small, or excuse me, very, very big, and start Bay and Bogdanovich at like the two and three per se with Kate at the one, and then go big with Stewart at the four and someone like Noel, Duran, Bagley, you know, a tree a duo out of those four guys up front together but i think it's something that we're just going to see in spurts to start the season to be honest with you i don't think it's going to be uh something that dominates the starting lineup to begin the season i think it's something that as time goes on as injuries occur a potential bogdanovich trade again you know it's something that the pistons are going to spend some time working on in smaller spurts at the beginning of the year to see what it looks like, to learn how to maximize it. And then when the time does come that Jalen Dern is ready to to take on more minutes, potentially be the starting five that I think Troy Weaver envisions him being for this franchise of the future, that's when it's going to be uh, go time for Isaiah Stewart to either perform as the four and be that Al Horford type guy that, now not only he, but Troy Weaver has compared him to. And if he can be that, that sets him up for a very successful career. It cements him in Detroit's rotation. But if it doesn't work out for him at the four, then it certainly puts pressure on him. And it might put him in a scenario where he's either backing up Duran 
or he's on his way out. Like, I think this team is very, very dedicated to Duran. Um, they spent resources to get him. He is a guy that they were tied to heavily. It was said that Troy Weaver was considering drafting him at number five. Mm-hmm. I think sooner rather than later, Duran is going to be in the rotation. I think it's very important Stewart is able to grow and develop. I like that Detroit's not going to push it on him all at once. I think the Bogdanovich trade signals that. There's pressure on him still nonetheless, though, to try to adapt as quickly as possible because they do have Bagley, who they just signed for $37 million. They spent the resources on Duran, and they have Nerlens Noel. So they have that group of of bigs that they got to play still, and Isaiah Stewart certainly belongs in the mix as well. But in terms of maximizing his future, I think it comes with being able to play not just the five, but the four spot as well. Yeah, I agree with you there, Aaron, Uh, especially what you just said about Jalen Duran. He's obviously a crucial part of of this core moving forward. And not just because we heard those rumors about Troy Weaver being enamored with him and and potentially even taking him at number four. Um, It's one of those things as well where, look, they basically traded Jeremy Grant for Jalen Duran. But not just Jalen Duran, they also took on money in order to get Jalen Duran. So I think, to me, they wouldn't have done that if that wasn't a player they felt really, really strongly about. And he's obviously going to have a big role in this team moving forward. Um, You know, I, I do think that that's one of the interesting things about this Bogdanovich trade is especially when it comes to Isaiah Stewart and his development potentially at the four. Because now with Bogdanovich in the fold, what you could potentially do is slide guys down. You know, you yeah, we're, we're kind of anticipating a starting lineup of Cade, Ivy, Sadiq, Bogdanovich, and then probably Isaiah Stewart at the five. But if you want to really develop Isaiah Stewart and give him good reps meaningful reps at the four you can do that now with Bogdanovich in the fold you can play Cade Cunningham of the one slide Sadiq Bay and Bogdanovich down to the two and three and then throw Isaiah Stewart out there at the four um you know see how his shooting comes along because that's always been kind of the issue with Isaiah Stewart at the four is well if his shot isn't there immediately you're going to have a lot of trouble spacing the floor. And now with Bogdanovich in the fold, that's not necessarily true. You can still have three great shooters on the floor, give Isaiah Stewart a little bit of space and opportunity to shoot himself and maintain a solid defensive presence because now you have Jalen Duran and you have Nerlens Noel also at the five. So I think for me, you know, that's another aspect of the Bogdanovich trade that hasn't really been talked about, but I think it's super important. Isaiah Stewart going to the four works a lot better now with this lineup. So, yeah, I'm 100% with you. I think this was actually one of the most important quotes of Media Day. Um, There's one other quote that I I think was probably equally, if not more important, but we'll get to that. Um, But, yeah, I'm 100% in agreement with you. This is a crucial part of not just Isaiah Stewart's development, but pretty much the team as a whole development. Um, because if your long-term plan is to play Duran and Stewart together, Isaiah Stewart's the one who's going to have to move to the four. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, it's like I go back to that 2021 draft, or excuse me, the 2020 draft, 
And I look at it as Troy Weaver was taking shots on guys that he liked. Um, but these last two drafts were taking guys that he's confident in their ability to be part of the franchise long-term. I think the trades he made back in the 2020 draft were part of, look, we have no young players right now. If I don't go get us some young pieces, we're essentially going to waste a year. Mm -hmm. And I can't afford to do that. I have some assets. Let me see what I can do. And he came away with Bay and Stewart, who both have futures in this league. How big is still to be determined in terms of how they continue to develop, how they adapt, how they change. But Stewart is a guy that can be a part of a team's core. It's just, it's going to be harder for him to do it now that Duran is in the fold. He's going to have to adapt. Whereas someone like Sadiq Bey, who's a natural wing and can play really two to four because the wings are so interchangeable in today's game, it's easier for him to have other guys taking minutes, taking time from his role because he can play those different spots as well. Whereas Stewart, who's more of a natural five, is going to have to spend the time developing as a four to prove that he's part of this core. So it's an interesting situation. This season is a good opportunity to determine where Stewart stands. And I'm excited to see how it goes because the talk about turning Isaiah Stewart into this Al Horford type of versatile big, who's a menace defensively, a spacer offensively who helps move the ball. Like that's all very, very interesting to me. And if it works, that's a massive play for the Pistons. Oh, that's hugely important. And I'm glad you brought up Troy Weaver. And, you know, that was one of those things. I'll fully admit to it. On draft night of 2020, I was not thrilled with the way that he went about acquiring Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart necessarily. I thought he overpaid. I was like, Luke Kennard in multiple seconds for the 19th pick? That's an overpay. But And I'm going to give Troy Weaver a lot of credit for this. Uh, I think it was... Um, I can't remember who said it to me on Twitter, but really when it comes down to it, look, being a successful franchise, a successful GM, it's not about winning each individual trade. Stan Van Gundy won a lot of individual trades, but he didn't build a good team. And while it might've looked like Troy, Stu Troy Weaver kind of overpaid for those guys at the time, you're a hundred percent correct in saying what he needed to do was acquire young talent with potential and he needed to acquire it fast and so by overpaying quote unquote a little bit that's what he did he didn't waste a year and say well maybe we have something in Luke Kennard oh well you know maybe we hold on to him to the deadline see if we can get some picks for next year he said no screw that I'm going out and I'm building a team right now day one and he had a little bit of a quote on that as well James Edwards of The Athletic asked Troy Weaver what he likes about his roster coming into the season. And Troy said, I finally feel like we have a full roster of complimentary players. The first year, for first two years, we didn't. And that's my job, to make sure that we have a roster that can compete every night. And he didn't, I, I couldn't find the exact quote, but he also said a little something about, you know, basically he came in day one and his job, what he had to do was tear it down to nothing 
get that salary off and then start building back up. And his exact quote was, we're basically at zero right now. He basically was like, you know what? We, we've gotten to the baseline. This is when we start really building towards to, towards competing. So my question for you is, do you agree with that? Do you feel like this is finally a roster where you're like, this makes sense. This is something we can build on. I know the direction we're going in. Um, you know, the teardown is over. It's time to get better now. Absolutely. I mean, you can't keep doing this top five pick every year type of, of build not with Kate Cunningham going into year two, not with Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart going into year three, you add Boyan Bogdanovich, you added two more lottery picks, you added a couple proven veterans in Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel. Like this is a team that even if they aren't good enough to be a playoff team, this is a team good enough to compete every night. This is a team good enough to fight in every game they play. That doesn't mean they're on the same level as the top dogs of the Eastern and Western Conference, but they can't be going out and getting dropped by Charlotte, New York, Atlanta, Washington. Like They have to be competing with those teams. They have to be winning some of those games. This is a roster that I'm not going to say it's built to win, but it's not built to lose either. There's mm. too many good players, and there's too high of a ceiling for, for some of these guys on the roster, specifically Kate Cunningham. Uh, I have grown more and more into the belief over the last few years that if you have a, a, a top 10 type guy, which I think Kate Cunningham can be that's a guy that you can win with maybe not win a championship with but you can be a good team with and maybe you still have to get that number two guy next to him or build out the roster more complete but you need to be competitive if you have that high level of player and i'm not saying kate cunningham's going to end up being a top 10 player by the end of his second season in the league but he can he can be very very good we've talked about him potentially being an all-star this this upcoming season like I think that's very very much in the play his potential is through the roof he has better pieces around him to help alleviate some of the stress that that came with his role last season the Pistons need to be competitive overall that doesn't mean that they have to win 50 games but if they go out and and pick up 20 wins on the year that's concerning to me because there is too much talent on this roster to just flat out be bad this should be a competitive team, even if they fall short of making the playoffs or making the play in. Oh, yeah. I mean, hey, it, I'll say this right now. They win 20 games this year. Uh, Dwayne Casey uh, it, it should not have a job with this organization next season. Straight up. Like, that's that's unacceptable. Um, I'm not saying you got to win 40 games or even 35, but 20, that would be a fireable offense. Unless, of course, like, obviously, like, Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey and Bogdanovich all go down. In that case, of course, you get it. That's, you know, that's just a disaster season. You tip your cap and you start over. Um, but, yeah, definitely. This is a team that exactly, exactly like Troy Weaver said, it's his job to make sure that they have a roster that can compete every night. And I think as of right now, they have that. Um, you also mentioned, you know, along with Cade Cunningham, 
in today's NBA, you do need that second star. And really, let's be honest, if you want to be a championship contender, you need that third star as well. Um, it's not enough just to have a big two. You need a big three. We'll see if that changes over the next couple of years um, with the, you know, league expansion seems inevitable, to be honest. So we'll see if that changes with two new teams coming in um, into the league. Obviously, rosters are going to get pared down a little bit and some teams are going to lose their stars. So uh, I do think that might shift a bit. But hey, if we're talking about a second start for Cade Cunningham, I think we know who it is. It's got to be Jaden Ivey, right? And I thought Jaden had some some really good quotes at Media Day. Uh, more than Cade, that's for sure. Uh, Jaden Ivey said, I mean, this is something that I think absolutely you have to love. First off, he said his goal is trying to get to the playoffs this year. That's his main goal. He doesn't really have anything else on his mind but winning. And obviously that's kind of a a stock answer from a lot of NBA players. I mean, I think I remember Derek Rose saying the same thing a couple of years ago and uh, they did not make the playoffs. Uh, but what he also said was, I want to be a piston for life. It runs deep. And for me, I see a quote like that. And sometimes you hear it from guys and you don't believe it with Jay and Ivy. I believe it. This is a guy that was so emotional at draft night who so clearly wanted to get drafted to Detroit, who obviously we've, we all know his connections to the city with his mom and his grandpa, DCD. Um, this, is a, this is a dude that, like he said, his love for Detroit really runs deep. So hearing those two quotes, what are you here? Well, wait, even if you don't believe that it runs deep, here's what he said. His favorite flavor of Fago is orange which I also need to get your feelings on that because I think that's a terrible choice. Uh, the real answer, of course, has to be rock and rye. Um, but yeah, seeing those quotes from Jaden Ivey, how do you feel about that? Is that something you're really buying into? Uh, well, or do you think this is kind of just a little bit of like player speak? Well, first off, to to address a more important question, the, the Fago answer, you know, I don't really drink pop anymore, but when I did have a Fago, 100%, 10 out of 10, Every single time, it I'm was wrong. no, it was orange. What? Hundred percent spot on with that. Oh that is a guy God. that obviously knows what's up, and it only cements my belief in him that I had when I was scouting him. Now, if I would have known he was a Fago Orange guy prior, he would have been one one on my board. Sorry, <laughs> but it, it just only makes me feel more confident in my assessment of him. So he's a hundred percent spot on with that. I don't know why people are up in arms about that. Fago Orange is clearly the top flavor. It's at best the third. It's like at best third. Like the blue, the 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 blue, uh, the blue soda one. That one's also. I'm sorry. See, you can tell I'm an East Coast liberal elite now because I say soda instead of pop. Uh, just <laughs> what is? That? But no, orange is number three. I think you're crazy. Uh, but we do definitely need to make sure Jaden Ivy goes down to one of those uh ICP rest wrestling shows in Detroit sometime got to get him in the ring got to get him hit over the head with a bottle of orange fago I mean it's just got to happen um you know I once ran into shaggy too dope at a books a million on 14 mile uh with his family and um I think he'd do it he seems like a nice guy so that's just my opinions on the fago thing obviously that's going to be a very controversial topic that we're going to discuss lots of times during the season but no really to get more back to the yeah the, to his more 
quote unquote serious quotes. <laughs> are you buying into that thing that he really wants to be a piston for life? Do you think this is something that he's really serious about, or is he just saying it because you know he's new and he's excited? He he certainly knows how to endear himself to a fan base, right? He certainly knows the right words to say. Kind of, that definitely reminds me of of Kate Cunningham in that sense. These are two guys that came in day one and immediately knew how to speak to the media, immediately knew what to say that was going to get fans going, was going to get fans excited, make them uh, you know, bigger fans of these individual players. Um, part of me does feel like it's it's coach speak, it's players speak, it's media training. But on the flip side, in today's landscape, you can't say I want to be a piston for life without knowing that there's the 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 – the fallback of you leaving the Pistons and knowing that that quote's going to end up coming back at you hard. So uh, I think he probably does partially believe that it's, it's also got to be probably due to the ties that he has to the, to the city with his family and whatnot. And that's good to see. It's good to know. Um, the winning is certainly more important to me in, in the, in the immediate. I think this team needs to have that mindset of like, look, like we, we really can't just be a 25 win team anymore. Like we have to start winning some more ball games. We are too good for this. We're going to start jeopardizing our futures, our coach's future, our front office's future. If we don't start winning more ball games. So uh, it, it's encouraging. And I think we heard that sentiment from multiple players throughout media day was they really do feel like this team is ready to start winning. And I want to see that. I certainly need to to see it in order to believe it, but I want to see that. Like I, I don't want a season of, oh well, we weren't really built to win this year. This is a season of development for us. Like I want to see these guys going out there every night, fighting to win, being coached to win, having the rotations run to win. And mm-hmm. the way that these guys are talking, it encourages me that that will hopefully be the case. Yeah. I mean, and a big part of that is buy-in, right? And I think you're seeing pretty much on all levels of the organization buy-in to what this team is doing. Um, you know, I thought, like, like here's, here's a good example is Marvin Bagley at Media Day. You know, just talking about how much he enjoys the team and his teammates, and he just loves being around these guys. And, you know, I, I'm not saying um, that he – you know, is a bad locker room presence or anything like that. But I definitely think it was one of those things, just seeing that somebody who's had a little bit of those quote unquote attitude problems in the past, just seeing how much he's already bought in there. I think that speaks really highly to the job Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver have done here. Uh, Aaron, I want to wrap things up. Um, I have a couple extra quotes, just quick reactions. I want to throw at you. Um, Nerland's Noel said he wants to emulate Ben Wallace and cat himself, catapult himself back into Defensive Player of the Year contention. I really you buying that or are you selling that? Quote. I really wanted to make sure we got this quote in there. Uh, I got you. I know. I know. <laughs> I can't believe he actually said that. Uh, the, the, <laughs> that was wild. Because I really don't remember Nerlens Noel ever really being a, a deep point candidate. I mean, obviously he has a reputation as a good defender, and I think that's huge for Detroit because I think that's why – He's immediately going to make an impact on this team. Uh, last year, they didn't have any sort of rim protection coming off the bench between Kelly Olenek or Marvin Bagley um, or Luca Garza. Like, this is a, a a big change for the Pistons to where this is the team that has more rim protection than they've ever had in Troy Weaver's time. And that 
probably coincides with the whole thing of they have more talent than they've ever had in Troy Weaver's time as the general manager here. But uh, this is a guy that, you know, whether you like it or not, is going to be in the rotation uh, at the beginning of the season. He is a veteran. He is liked around the league. He is liked by Troy Weaver. They have a prior relationship. And he's an effective defender for a second unit that is going to have some scoring punches in Bagley, in Alec Burks. Um, there is going to be a need for a rebound gobbler, a guy that you know can get an offensive rebound, put something back in the basket. Like you're not going to have to run plays for in a while. Like Burks is going to be able to go out there and do his thing. Isaiah Livers is going to be able to go out there and space the floor. Bagley's going to be out able to go out there and pick on whichever big or whichever forward he gets matched up on, whether that's him backing him down, him trying to take one of those, his mid-range shots. Like, Noel is just going to be out there to defend, communicate, rim protect, and that's encouraging. Like, I am glad that the Pistons made it a priority to go get more rim protection. And I think having a guy like Noel is great for Stewart and Duran, and that was something that he was asked, asked about at media day was the type of role he's going to have in terms of mentoring these young bigs on the roster. And I think that's just, you know, almost just as important as the type of role he's going to play on the floor. Um, So I think having him in the fold is, is important. I don't think he's going to be deep. I don't think he's going to be a candidate for deep. I don't think he's going to be a, uh, in the game enough to be a defensive player of the year candidate, but I do admire and respect the, the quote, the attitude, the mindset, and hopefully it, it it bleeds out onto the court and, and helps the Pistons. Yeah, I mean, look, you don't anticipate him on a roster with three young centers um, being a guy who's necessarily going to get enough opportunity to be a defensive player of the year, uh, much less the single greatest help defender of all time in Ben Wallace. Uh, but you know what? If he does, I'm not going to complain if they have a defensive player of the year <laughs> candidate coming off of their bench. Um Two more. Um, Killian Hayes. We, we haven't talked about him on this podcast. He said that his goal this year is firstly to be that defensive voice, that leader on defense. Uh, he also mentioned that he worked on a shot all summer with the coaches. I've seen some people on Twitter not too thrilled with how his shot looks, but, you know, in terms of what he's saying he wants to focus on in terms of being that leader on defense this year, especially coming off of the bench. How do you feel about that? Is that something you're buying into? Is that something that you see as a positive? Or do you kind of see it as a negative that he's not even really talking about being a, you know, a, a driver of the offense coming off the bench? He's he's already kind of been like, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to work on my shot, but I'm the defensive point guard off this bench. Yeah, I think Killian's comments were certainly eye-raising uh, from media day. And he was he might have been the first or maybe the second player to speak. So I think a lot of eyes were on him and there was a little bit just more energy in the room because it was early in the day. Um, I think the quotes are encouraging. He talked about how his first two seasons in the league didn't go as planned and he's aware of that, uh, but he's confident in where he's at. And outside of that, he didn't say a whole lot else. It was a lot of kind of repeating himself and rewording his answers. Uh, the rest of the way through. I'm glad that he's aware that his first two seasons didn't go as planned. Um, I'm sure he feels that way mainly because he got injured. But more importantly, I, I'm glad to hear him 
use the word confidence because, and he used it multiple times because that's something I never really got. Those were never vibes that I got from Killian Hayes when he was on the court. I never heard him talk about him or never saw him play and feel like, oh yeah, this guy's confident in what he's trying to do out on the court. So seeing that, and I think he does understand like, look, this isn't my team. This is Cade. Uh, You know, they drafted me and then the next two drafts, they spent top five picks on two guards. Like, I'm not the starter right now. I need to be the best player I can be in my role. And if he truly is believing in that and buying into that, that's significant for Detroit because there is still potential in Killian Hayes. For as much heat as he gets, there is still a player in there. There is still potential in there. And there's still time to to get that out of him. So uh, I, I did see some of the shooting videos. I don't necessarily... Know if that shot form is going to work. Uh, I'll save any further judgment until the start of the year. Three letters, my friend. M-K-G. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. That's that's what I was getting a lot of with that. I was not a big fan. Uh, but, yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think, you know, we've talked about Killian kind of transitioning to potentially being that Sean Livingston type of guy coming off the bench, being a stud. And uh, I, I certainly think that that is something – he can do uh, this year. I'm, I'm happy to see him embrace that role. And we certainly hope he has confidence in it. Uh, Aaron, I, I don't really have anything else. Um, I don't know if you had any last second quotes you wanted to throw out there, but I think we hit on a lot today. We did. Um, yeah. Anything else from you? No, I'm, I'm good. I know we've got uh, one. I think we have one more podcast until preseason. Oh, uh, I can't wait. So we'll see what else we have in terms of information on the team. Alec Burks is essentially going to miss all of preseason with uh, an injury and they're taking it slow with Nerlens Noel and Kevin Knox. So we'll keep you posted on that. But other than that, I think that does it for this week's edition uh, of the Palace of Pistons podcast, really just going through the media day for the Detroit Pistons. So uh, that is going to do it from us. Thank you to our sponsor bet online and, Lee for making this edition of the POP podcast possible from Aaron and Jasper. Thanks so much for listening. And we will see you guys next time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah. That's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.